0: everybody welcome to take off with John Clark and please rate and review this podcast wherever you're listening and subscribe for free and let's get a little state of the eagles here from former birds president Joe Banner Joe I appreciate you coming on again I always learn something you always have good insights so we appreciate your time doing this
1: uh my pleasure good to be with you John
0: so Joe I first want to ask you uh right now the eagles are 3 and 6 and I'm looking at their schedule they got a game at the broncos and they got the saints But then you've got five games against the Jets, two against the Giants, two against Washington, and they end with a game against the Cowboys. And who knows? Cowboys could rest for starters. Where do you think the Eagles wind up uh, when this is all said and done at the end of the year? I mean,
1: I think the best guess at this point is somewhere with six to seven wins, and you could easily make a case it's four and you could give them a shot at getting to nine. Um, But, you know, I just think looking at the opponents – they're obviously still somewhat inconsistent. Some of that's good reasons. Some of it's not such good reasons. So they'll probably win most of the games that they should and still struggle against the better teams. Although some of those teams, like New Orleans, has a good record. Not sure how good they really are. May not be quite as compelling an opponent, although we'll see where uh, Odo Beckham decides to sign. <laughs> that may change that answer. Yeah.
0: <laughs> okay, it's time to commit. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at That's Byte.com. That's byt dot com. Start your confidence journey today with Byte. To, to you, what was this year all about for the Eagles with a young coaching staff, Jalen Hurts, finding out what he has? I mean, when you went into this year, what did you expect? What was this to you?
1: Well, I mean, I thought they had a chance to be a, a solid team, not a deep run in the playoffs or anything, but in a weak division, I didn't rule out them winning the division. Um, I actually commented at the time that the Vegas odds had them as the most likely team in the East to come in last place. I thought that was crazy. We'll see. (laughs) But uh, so I I thought they'd be solid. I didn't think that the, the idea of bridging without having to kind of go backwards a little bit was realistic. So I didn't see the, uh, you know, great success in the season, but I thought a solid competitive year, mainly focused on developing these younger players, And really sorting out the situation at quarterback was what would, that's what I would have predicted was going to happen.
0: Yeah, it's very interesting because Nick Sirianni said this week they are playing a certain way right now. And obviously that is the running game these last couple weeks. 85 rushes, over 400 yards, Jalen Hurts running for first downs and third down. Uh, Why do you think it took this long to evolve, I guess, to what Jalen Hurts and the offense can be with him?
1: Well, listen, I'm in a minority in Philadelphia, but I'm still questioning whether this is the really the right answer. Um, so, you know, I think they got here because they had some success doing it. Now, whether that was a function of who they were playing or actually taking better advantage of their roster and where the strengths are, you know, we could debate. Um, you know, I've been a long-standing proponent of the passing game being kind of the way to start games in particular because of the Statistical correlation between teams that get early leads and the likelihood of winning and the teams that get early leads, likelihood of passing early, has really driven that view. So, I mean, I think this game was an example of it. You're saying you are playing a team that's very weak against the run, and no one's suggesting that they should be throwing every down. Um, but they were also missing three starters in their secondary at the beginning of the game, including the stu- two starting corners, and they got their third corner hurt relatively early in the game. So they were Eagles were passing against their fourth and fifth best corner. And when they were in nickel, they were actually passing against their fourth, fifth, and sixth best corners. And they came out of the first half with 10 points, having really dominated the game and run the ball really effectively. So that that's really my concern. They in this particular game, that may have been exactly the right thing to do because of the nature of the strength of San Diego's offense and trying to keep the ball away from them. But generally I'm still a believer that you want to throw the ball early to get the lead. And then integrate the run more and more as the game goes on to kind of control the game physically, to control the clock, to shorten the game. Um, But I still believe that in most situations, especially against good opponents, the best strategy. And again, I'm not saying this is 100 percent and guarantees winning or anything like that. It just gives you the best chance is to try to throw early and get the lead.
0: And I don't disagree with you. And obviously, Andy Reid, a tremendous proponent of that, and it's worked very well. Do you think this is sustainable for the Eagles to try to run an offense this way?
1: Well, I think this is the right thing to do to a degree. When you really get to 14 passes and 40 runs, I don't think unless it's a really bad team and a really lopsided score that even they think that's the best way to try to win. Now, are they at a place where maybe they should be running more than my kind of philosophical uh, beliefs that I just referenced? They probably are. And they do have a quarterback whose running ability can create all kinds of problems for the defense, not just on the plays he's running, but on all of the plays they've got to figure out what to do and prepare for. So I do think they should be more run oriented than most teams. And than I usually think, Uh, but I also think degree matters. If they could come out throwing and get the lead. And I only say that because you can, as yourself, go look at the play-by-plays of scoring drives that are not short drives. Like you have a short field, 60, 70, 80 yard scoring drives. You're going to see an overwhelming percentage of the yardage is gained through the air. And usually a majority of the plays are passes. So it seems to me like it's a fact that by throwing the ball more, you increase your chances of getting touchdowns. And if you get touchdowns early, you increase your chance of winning the game dramatically. Whether you're a good team or a bad team, that's that holds up. So I just, I just encourage them to manage the degree of a shift towards a more run oriented offense which I actually think if you want to maximize success in the moment is the right thing to be doing.
0: And we talked about how really one of the most important things this year is to figure out the quarterback position. Can Jalen hurts be the guy going forward? Do you think this says something about maybe an inconsistency with accuracy or whatever that Nick Sirianni basically came out this season throwing, he was throwing a lot, Uh, 80% sometimes is Jalen not able to do that at, at, at a high level with his accuracy. Yeah,
1: and listen, despite my belief, I think that expecting any really young quarterback with an offensive line that's in transition, mostly because of injuries, although a few new people being mixed in, um, but that's too extreme, even, even in, in the way I look at the world, which I know is, is different than uh, you know a lot of the people in Philadelphia. Um, now, there's a middle ground there, and I think that's what we'll see them build to. So I think they said, listen, we tried to throw a lot at him, and frankly, at the whole offense, which is fairly inexperienced. And it was just too much too quick. So we went backwards and we're rebuilding it. And now we're going to add pieces incrementally as opposed to a whole bunch all at once. Um, And if that's what they do, I actually think that's really smart and the right way to handle it. And by the end of the season, they should have a solid conviction on whether they think Hurts is the guy or not. Now, if we see them kind of stay in the mode they're in right now, which to me, if you're talking about playing quality teams, is not going to be a formula that will win consistently not saying they won't win ever, but won't win consistently. Then they may have to accelerate, you know, how much they're layering in each week. But if they've gone back feeling like, you know what, we tried to do too much too quickly. Let's relay the foundation and let's add to it every week. I think that would be very smart. And they deserve a lot of credit for it.
0: You know, Jalen Hurts has showed a lot of fight. He's got the leadership. He's got a lot of intangibles and, and being around the locker room, you do see these young guys. They really like playing with him and they look up to him. From your eyes, and you've seen franchise quarterbacks in Philadelphia, do you think that Jalen Hurts can be or develop into a franchise quarterback here in Philly?
1: Yeah, I think if you use the new definition of that, which to me includes the value of a quarterback that's as mobile as he is. So in other words, you have to have the coaches recognize that we're not running a traditional franchise quarterback type of offense here. This is not what Tom Brady or Peyton Manning or even Aaron Rodgers and those people ran. Maybe we're taking a version of what Baltimore was doing, and hopefully passing a little more effectively, and having stronger weapons than what we see there. You know, to me, that's an offense that has a chance to be very good. Now it would have to be matched with a great defense because it's not going to be super high scoring, but it's going to be able to control the ball and score at kind of a moderate level theoretically against even good teams. Remember, if your goal is to win a Super Bowl, what you do against weak opponents is meaningless. You have to build a team that has the ingredients to beat the top teams in football. A team that's overwhelmingly driven by success running has a hard time doing that. You know, even people call the Browns now a running team. You can study it. They come out passing in most games, and they get the lead, and then they rely on the running game. Andy Reid is running a little bit more recently than he used to, but he's throwing early to get the lead, and then he's doing that. So if that's what they're moving towards and really appreciating, these are Jalen's strengths. And he's not going to thread the needle on a bunch of 20 yard passes down the middle of the field or an out is 25 yards down the field, as well as what we normally are historically have thought of as a franchise quarterback. And we're going to cater to that. We're going to build the roster and we're going to call the games with that knowledge. I think they have a chance of creating a strong offense. I don't think it will be one of the top, top offense in the league, but it will be good enough to win if it's matched with a really, really good defense.
0: You know, you hit on something really good there because you do have Jalen hurts under a rookie contract. So if you're able to have Jalen Hurts as your quarterback, does that allow you to spend a lot more money in other areas? And then when you couple that with after this season, you could possibly have three first round picks, let's say in the top 15, top 20, it's going to be a fascinating decision, right? Because I know, hey, if Russell Wilson wants out of Seattle or Aaron Rodgers wants out of Green Bay, or these other quarterbacks are available for two or three first round picks, how fascinating of a decision will that be?
1: Yeah, this is a... uh and I don't say this easily because I've been through enough to see that sometimes moments you think are like transitional, aren't <laughs> this is. I mean, how they use those resources and how they come out of that. And it can be anything from just making three picks to trading and putting themselves in a position with the next two or three years. They have more picks than anybody in the league to trading up and getting a great superstar quarterback. I mean, there are so many range of possibilities of what they do with this and getting that Right. First question on Hertz, because that defines everything else after that with these first picks, and then utilizing those in a way. And, and you're right, if it turns out that they believe he can be the guy and frees them up to use those three picks on strengthening what surrounds him or what the defense is, you know, that's transformational. We'll be looking at a totally different team two years from now. Let's give those players a year to be rookies and then count on them being big contributors. And if Hertz, if they're right about Hertz and they think he's the guy and they can use those three picks to strengthen the rest of the roster, you know, we could see them competitive with the better teams in the league much faster than most people would think based on what we're watching right now.
0: Yeah, that's a great point. And it's very fascinating because, you know, when you spend a lot of money at the quarterback position, uh, especially these contracts, $130 million, $140 million, you know, you have less money to spend on the other positions. But look, going back to that draft where the Eagles missed out on Russell Wilson, you know all about that. Um, <laughs> Do you still think that that name and Russell Wilson, the type of quarterback he is, is still in the back of Jeff Flory and Howie Roseman's mind?
1: Yeah, I don't think there's any doubt. And I, I don't know anything. It's a projection, but I know how they think. And, you know, there's no doubt that it, uh, you know, I'm not even there anymore. And it's still, when I see him play, I have a reaction about, you know, how close that was. And, and frankly, what a big mistake we made in trying to kind of finesse, you know, waiting Um, maybe that makes sense if you're picking, you know, whatever, a linebacker or something, but you're picking a guy that you think could be a quarterback for the next decade to start to worry about picking him at 55 versus at 65 or 70 was really a big mistake on our part, but that's what we did. I'm glad we were proven right in the evaluation because we spent a lot of time on it and just got too cute with ourselves when it came time to actually make the pick.
0: That one of your, uh, biggest regrets. I think I'd probably say yes, just because
1: it's such a, you know, you pick a quarterback and get it right. I mean, it really is a decade. You can hope to pick a left tackle and it's a decade, but it usually isn't. In the Eagles case, it happens to have been now twice in a row. So that's great. And they have a chance to make it three in a row, but that's not what normally happens, but you hit on a quarterback for at least a dozen years, you're in a different place than if you're still looking for a quarterback. Um, So as, as good as he turned out to be and multifaceted, because he's a real asset in both the pass and the running game. Um, It probably would be hard to say anything else was a bigger mistake. And we spent so much time on him. We had the evaluation right. What we got wrong was our, and we did a lot of, God, I can't even tell you how many phone calls between me, Andy, and Howie trying to really figure out where we thought he'd get picked because we really, really wanted him, but we really didn't want to overpay because we had other needs. I say with hindsight, we should have just said, this is a quarterback. We're all unanimously in agreement. Let's not get cute. Let's just pick them. Um, But we were really trying to just figure out, could we wait till the third round and still get them? Uh, We were really strongly convinced the answer was yes. The answer turned out to be no. And, you know, it's changed how the team's been for the last at least six or seven years and probably five or six more going forward. So no doubt that rings in their minds. No doubt they think back about that moment and wonder how different things would be. Uh, And no doubt in my mind that the idea of acquiring him would be something they'd be really excited about if it was a real possibility.
0: But a big thing is the money, though, right? Because if Jalen is at a certain level, maybe he's obviously not Russell Wilson level. But if you can have a pretty good offense with his level of contract and get look, they need to fix a lot of things on defense, a lot of areas. So you could use all that money in other areas. So I think it's just going to be a fascinating decision.
1: Yeah, it is. And, and the only thing to remember with that, though, is that because Hertz wasn't a first round pick, they really have this rest of this year and then next year before, if he's good, he'll become expensive. And if you have a quality starting quarterback, you're betting the future on you, you. He has four years on the contract. You need to sign him after three. So at the end of this, year, he will be after two. So they have that for one year. So they have to be a little careful about not making commitments that extend beyond the time that he could be a 30 or $40 million quarterback when he's a $2 million quarterback. So they can't go quite all in as you could if you were in the second year of a guy who had five years, but you're absolutely right. There's a shorter term to it, but there is an absolute benefit uh, to go in and fix some of the uh, needs, especially if you've got hurts, you've got three first round picks and you've got some cap room. You can do a lot of damage in a short time if you're any evaluations right. There's no distance too far for the perfect trip. <laughs>
0: All right, well, I'm sorry I had to bring up some old scars there. No <laughs> problem, Russell Wilson. <laughs> I can handle it. Okay. <laughs> some insurance companies, they use jingles and mascots, but not NJM. When you're up front with your customers, you don't need gimmicks. NJM, no jingles or mascots, just great insurance. Get a quote today at NJM.com. Conversation in Philly, Joe, is a lot about do the Eagles have enough talent or do Is the coaching staff not getting the best out of the talent? Obviously, the Eagles have the youngest coaching staff in the NFL, and these are guys who are doing this job for the first time. Are you surprised, first of all, that they did not bring in an experienced coach at one of those spots? Like, Because you have a new play caller, offensive coordinator, head coach, and new defensive coordinator for the first time. Yeah, I am somewhat,
1: although I'm not jumping on the bandwagon of that really explaining what's happened. But if you said to me, as I was looking at the organization, you know, what, what changes, if I was sitting there, would I be advocating? I would advocate putting some more experience on the coaching staff. Um, but we've all seen plenty of uh, staffs that were young. Uh, maybe they mixed in one or two experienced guys. I don't think it's a game changer. I just think it's preferable. Um, so I think it's fair to kind of judge the coaches on their performance, not really put an asterisk on it because of the inexperience. Um, and listen, if they agree with what we're saying right now, it's an easily fixed problem at the end of the year. It's not hard to go out and find a Jim Caldwell type of person, somebody who's experienced and respected by players, has knowledge, has been in bigger jobs. Um, they could very easily, and I'm just throwing his name out, I'm not advocating to say he's the answer, but that type of guy. Um, they could easily go out and, and, and fix that part of the problem. So we'll know at the end of the year whether they agree with us that that's something that uh, maybe they should have thought of sooner.
0: Jonathan Gannon, specifically the defense, taking a lot of heat because the quarterbacks are completing passes at a record (laughs) rate against this defense. Uh, Obviously, for a while, he was playing a soft zone, uh, two deep safeties, don't give up the big play. And, yeah, they weren't giving up the big play, but then there's a lot of open uh, field over the middle, especially with the linebacker play. The linebackers are getting better. But, Joe, uh, he changed it up this past weekend. He blitzed 30% of the time. It was mostly early. And he showed some different looks. Uh, single high safety sometimes. Do you think this is him learning on the job or is it learning your personnel and what is going to work best with this entire group?
1: Yeah, I mean, there's no way to be on the outside and know that. I mean, clearly they were either um, tearing the teaching in gradually um, or he believed in a uh, more passive philosophy and then based on how things were going, became somewhat more aggressive. And I agree, by the way, he started this game a little bit more aggressively and I thought it was going reasonably well. And then I don't know why it didn't seem to sustain itself or whether he didn't sustain those calls. Um, but people need to know he is uh, he was as. Uh, highly sought after as anybody who has never been a coordinator before that I've seen in a long time. Um, so he is a highly thought of guy. He's very smart. He's very hardworking. Um I'm kind of baffled as to why things have gone as they are. Clearly, there's a contribution from the talent perspective, but I also think he could be doing more with the talent that he has. And based on how highly acclaimed he was and people that I know and really respect who have actually worked with him and know him, like him, talk about how smart he is, uh, I'm hoping it's more of a time. He just needs time to get into the role, get a little more comfortable. Maybe they do need to get more personnel that fits exactly what he does, not just good personnel, but actually fits. But I am somewhat surprised that we're watching what we are. I mean, it should be impossible to create complete 80% of passes in an NFL game. I mean, occasionally you get some pressure. Occasionally the quarterback throws the ball. or right receiver slips or he drops. It. I mean, it just should be impossible to have a number of games where you're seeing 80% of the pass complete against us. And in some of the games, there have been some underneath short stuff that you really don't mind. It's a five-yard game, big deal. But in plenty of those games, it's been real passes down the field into that 10 to 20-yard zone. And that's both surprising and concerning. And there, I think it's both. I think they do need to upgrade the talent and I do think he needs to, you know, step back and reevaluate how he's doing things because I don't think it's working. And I don't think even with this talent, it's maximizing its abilities.
0: As an organization. When you have a situation where your highest paid player, Fletcher Cox is basically saying publicly, I'm adjusting to the way I'm being used. And, and he's basically saying, I'm not you, being used the way I should be. And then obviously some things have adjusted or changed. Do you think Fletcher uh, helped make some of these changes with the defensive coordinator? And also, I mean, is Fletcher a little bit on the decline um, in a sense as well?
1: Yeah, I mean, first of all, the second part, unfortunately, appears obvious. And you hate to say that about somebody who's been such a crucial part of the organization and played so great for so many years. And, you know, one of the best draft picks we've had in a very long time. High character, everything. But I do think you have to acknowledge the fact that, I mean, I didn't think he played very well last year. He finished the season strong. But if you took the whole season, you'd say, boy, this isn't the Fletcher cut we used to. I was hoping he'd come back at the level we started at the end of last season. But that really hasn't happened uh, so far. Um, so I do think he's showing some frustration. Um, you got to remember, from an organization perspective, you don't want people airing those views because it's counterproductive. You really do want to create an environment where he feels totally comfortable coming to the defensive corner, coming to the head coach and sharing his views. I mean, that's the balance you're looking for when you're running a team. We want people to feel like they're in an environment where their opinion matters and we want to hear from them. But we don't want them to, you know, start taking this public or using it in a divisive way. So one way is very constructive. Constructive feedback should only help good coaches. On the other hand, it can be counterproductive if it starts to become kind of a public battle and it looks like the coaches and the players are kind of pulling in different directions. So I think they welcomed the input, but they probably wished it came in a different form. And I do think that that and probably other things that they're watching and seeing themselves, they do a lot of self scouting Were saying to them, you know, we've got to change this up. We've got to get more aggressive. I can tell you that the Howies and Jeffs of the world believe that you cannot win consistently in the NFL without pressuring the quarterback. Ideally, you've built a roster that can do that with four guys, and it's your choice when you want to rush more. But if you didn't build a roster that can get there with four guys, you got to do other things and get there. The idea of not pressuring the quarterback to Jeff and Howie is not acceptable. So I'm sure there have been a lot of internal discussions about, okay, so maybe we thought some of these players were going to be better or faster or contribute sooner than they are, um, or guys that we were counting on improving haven't. But that's not an excuse for not getting pressure. We just have to figure out what other ways to do it. And, you know, they've been there before, and they've done that. I mean, Jim Johnson did that regularly. We didn't always have – we always prioritized the defensive line, but we didn't always have a dominant defensive line. And if we didn't, he did whatever it took to get pressure. That was just a given. Jim Johnson's going to get pressure on the quarterback. And however he has to do to get it, he'd rather know he had four defensive linemen that could do it. But if he didn't, it didn't matter. He was still going to get there.
0: Yeah, he'd bring him from the parking lot to get yeah. out to the quarterback.
1: No, and he actually liked it. You know, it became fun. I mean, frankly, the players love it. I mean, if you're a safety – the idea of getting to blitz every once in a while really is exciting and motivating to you. The fact defensive players, they've got kind of a nastiness to them. That's why they're on defense. So being aggressive feels very natural to them. And uh, I think they he'd find the team and the players very receptive to getting more aggressive. And by the way, you get burnt from time to time when you're more aggressive. So you really have to believe in it, not get thrown off that belief because occasionally you're going to sit there and go oh, I blitzed, And look what happened. Yeah. You know, they just completed a 50 yard pass on it. You've got to be able to live with that. Just know, as I look at the 75 plays, the opposing offense is going to run. Even if I get burnt on a couple of plays, we will collectively be better off by being aggressive. So the few times it blows up in your face, you, you just drive right through it and keep doing what you're doing.
0: And you know, Philly, they like to be aggressive on defense <laughs> and attack and run the ball.
1: Yes, they do. <laughs> they I'm do. very familiar.
0: <laughs> <laughs> Joe, it's funny because you, you have a lot of experience with maybe a coach who started out, maybe wasn't quite ready, but then flourished like Sean McDermott. Uh, He became your defensive coordinator in Philadelphia, but then obviously it ended kind of quickly, and then look what he's become in Buffalo. So how do you know, like with Nick Sirianni, Jonathan Gannon, and these young coaches, how do you know when you have the right guy or you got to cut bait?
1: Yeah, so one of the good things about the Eagles, and it goes all the way back to when we hired Andy, is they have a very clear vision of what they want the head coach to be. Like, what are the priorities? Some teams are ambiguous about this. They're looking for like a coordinator sitting in the head coach seat. That never works. The Eagles really know they need somebody who's a leader. They need somebody who's going to hire a great staff and manage it effectively. They need somebody that can motivate the players. They need somebody who's obsessively uh, focused on detail. You know, all of the really great head football coaches in football are so obsessive about every little detail that can drive you crazy. So I don't think they're focused in evaluating him right now on the one loss record. I think they are focused on the five to eight things they think you need to be a good coach in the NFL. If they're seeing those things, I think they'll be very patient with him. If they're actually doubting that he has those qualities, uh, then I think they'll be very impatient with him. So I don't think they're going to debate you know, how they think the first season went based on the record. I think they're going to base it, as they're evaluating Nick, on the qualities they were hoping to find in the search and if he has those. And if he does, I think they'll give me a fair amount of time to improve the roster to get players that fit what they do better to feel out this kind of run pass type of questions, both offensively and defensively, by the way, I mean, they're set up on defense, but they should be able to stop the run reasonably well and less focus on the pass. I mean, to me, that's upside down. So, you know, I think they'll give them time to kind of learn and fix those things. If they're seeing the strength of the leadership, the quality of the hiring of the staff, the attention to detail, the conviction, I can tell you this with Jeff, when we hired Andy, Both Jeff and I believe in an aggressive defense and prefer to throw the ball, but that was not relevant to us in the search. What was relevant was that we were hiring a head coach who had a conviction and a solid, strong conviction based on his experience and his study in a philosophy. It didn't have to be the same as ours, but you can't really be a good leader if you're ambivalent or ambiguous about where you're leading people to. So we didn't care if the coach we hired agreed with our philosophy of being aggressive on defense and throwing the ball on offense. We did care that they had a very strong, clear belief in something and they weren't going to be easily thrown off of that by comments from players or criticism from the media, or booze from the fans. We wanted them to stick to what they believed in passionately and build the team and the roster around it. So I think that's what they're going to do. They're going to evaluate him on what they think are the key characteristics of success not the one loss record or not the play calling in this first season.
0: And, and going back to Sean McDermott, because, you know, Jonathan Gannon, like you said, he's considered a very bright mind. Um, it just didn't work out in Philly for Sean McDermott, but he flourished, flourished. So you see Jonathan Gannon, could he be in the same type of situation where, okay, he's, ha- he's having some rough spots, um, no. not give up on the guy.
1: And and the answer is they have more information than we do. And that's absolutely a real possibility. It's hard to believe some of the people that I know that know him well, they don't know his reputation, they know him well, and how highly they think of him, that the capacity to be doing this more effectively isn't there. Um, And, you know, I would encourage them not to give up too quickly on him, even though I'm watching the same things everybody else is. And it's really disturbing. And he definitely does deserve some of the blame but I do think there's enough in his history and him as a person and a coach that warrants this being a situation, by the way, you know, Sean's an interesting question too. We may have been premature in making a change with Sean. So we will never know that maybe it was the right change and maybe it was just a difficult situation coming off of, you know, Jim's success Um, coaching a defense. that wasn't quite as aggressive as Jim was, which we all preferred. Um, maybe if we'd given Sean more time, he would have proven that he actually was the right guy. And what we're seeing now kind of makes that seem like a real possibility. So we may have just been uh, um, too aggressive and not giving him the time he needed and maybe comparing him to something that wasn't realistic. Um, So I'd hate to see them do the same thing with Gannon, because there's similar reason to think that given the time, he can do a really good job.
0: You know, a couple more questions for you, Joe. Uh, I think people in Philly are kind of looking at this and Sometimes when you don't have the appropriate coaching or the quarterback or whatever, you don't necessarily know the level of talent you have at certain positions. Um, But you can identify on offense, Dallas Goddard, Devontae Smith, and we think Miles Sanders. uh, But Miles, his contract's coming up after next year. And that's going to be a really interesting case. Do you think contracts can get done with Goddard and Miles Sanders?
1: Well, Goddard, they're going to have to put... Pony up some money. <laughs> you know, he's, you know there, are, there are a lot of players, um, especially if they're not first round picks, that if you give them just a solid offer with a fair amount of guaranteed money, they'll take the deal because they don't want to risk leaving the deal without having financial security when they are right there. And there are some players that are willing to take that risk and just maximize their value. I think what we know and appear to know, the, the discussions that have taken place, that Goddard is going to try to maximize his revenue. And I believe in the end, the Eagles will, in fact, come up and pay him what they need to to sign him. Um, But they weren't going to do it early. If you're going to pay a guy full price, you know, why not wait? Make sure he stayed healthy. Make sure he's continued to perform at the level you want. Um, So I still expect Goddard to get done. Miles Sanders is trickier. I don't think you'll ever see the Eagles put a ton of money into a running back. Not because they don't think it's important. That's a mischaracterization. It's a false narrative. They think running backs are very important. We did when Andy was there, and we still never used high picks or spent a ton of money. But we believe there's an abundance of available talent at the position. So why use a high pick or spend a ton of money? So they, they think that's an important position. People who see us using only second or third round picks and running backs sometimes mistakenly think we don't value the position. That's not the case at all. Um, so I think if they can sign, if Sanders can prove he can stay healthy, let's start there because if he can't, that's a problem, no matter what you're paying him, you need him on the field, whether he's making $5 million a year or $15 million a year, you need to know he's going to be on the field consistently. So if he can prove he consistently stay healthy and he's willing to do kind of one of these mid range running back deals, uh, my sense is they prefer to keep him. And I think he's a very talented player that they should do that with. If he feels like the marketplace, since if he was exposed to 31 other teams, can get him into that group of you know, higher paid running backs, not necessarily the very top, but in a top tier, uh, I think that they'll probably go back to the draft and build through the draft as opposed to putting that kind of money into that position. Um, but I do think the Goddards and, and a few of the other guys that in the end, they're not going to let themselves lose them. They want to create this core and add to it. If the core is getting chipped away at, The first thing you do is fix the core, replace the core. It sets you back if you're trying to rebuild a team in a way that I don't believe they have the patience to do it. I don't think they should do. So pay the man.
0: Yeah, Pay the man. (laughs) Do Do you think in the end, Jeffrey Lurie used the word transition. Does transition mean rebuild? Well, I don't think he means
1: rebuild when he said it. I really think he felt and believed that they had a chance to stay competitive partially because the division is so weak. And I do think he thought the team is a little better than it's playing. Um, so I do think he said that, meaning that he thought they could stay competitive, not be great, not make a Super Bowl run, but competitive. At the same time, they were adding the pieces they needed to to get to the point where they could seriously compete uh, for a Super Bowl. Um, I think that's hard to do. I think you see them capitulating a little bit on that when they get rid of like a Zach Ertz. I mean, would they win more games the rest of the season with Ertz than not with Ertz? Probably more games with Ertz. But they had an opportunity to create some future cap room and pick a, get a pick that, you know, you always want to have as many picks as you can, even if they're long shot picks. Um, and they made the move, which to me made a statement that they seem to have um, lowered a little bit their expectations for the season. Um, and I think that they are sort of positioned where they can finish the season, where they feel like, you know what, we were competitive. Um, We didn't hit rock bottom. We didn't have to break down the positive attitude that people have about playing in Philly and have played in Philly. And at the same time, we got to add these pieces and accumulate all these future assets that can really be transformational.
0: Yeah. And, and let's finish up with what the Eagles have next year in the draft. Uh, I I follow you on Twitter. So I see uh, your insights. Um, This trade that the dolphins made and the Eagles (laughs) getting the dolphins pick. I mean, can you explain how this was able to happen?
1: You know, I mean, the uh, credit to the Eagles, and I don't know what Miami was thinking, really. I mean, we, there are very few established, really successful NFL players you'd give up two ones for. I mean, think about it. We're getting Ramsey, who may be the best corner in football. We're getting Tunzel, who may be in the top couple of left tackles in football. Those are players that people give you up two ones for. So an undersized wide receiver coming off a major injury who hasn't played against NFL competition to use up two ones, to pick a player like that, no matter how confident you are in the player, I, I just, I don't see it. I mean, if it's Khalil Mack, maybe, but even there, I would have some real hesitation. So, you know, Miami obviously thought they were much better than they were. They were overachieving the quality of the roster, adding even a great wide receiver was not going to get them to where they wanted to be. And you know, if you follow me on Twitter, so my, big, my big argument was they don't know if they have a quarterback. They hope they do. But if you don't know if you have a quarterback and you start trading away ones that could be used for a quarterback that you may not have, that's just bad philosophical team building. I mean, you've got to get that quarterback. And it's hard to get them. Some teams, well, let's, we'll build the team and then we'll get the quarterback. You know, show me how often that's worked. A couple of anecdotal examples have come up with over decades. It's, it's a long shot way to build the team. So the Eagles uh, were wise and smart to trade back. They still got the player they wanted, which even if they didn't, it was a good move. Um, and I'm sure the pick is turning out to be even higher than they thought based on how the Dolphins have played last year. But they certainly knew chance Tua gets hot, I mean, hurt. And then we could be trading for a top five, even a top 10 pick. It becomes likely a top 10 pick if Tua is hurt. So credit to them for being smart and being in a position to take advantage of another team that wasn't being smart. Same thing with Indianapolis, by the way. Most, and I know how it takes a lot of criticism, and obviously there's some reasons for it. But as we think about the positives, there are very few general managers that would have waited out that market when Wentz was first made available in which the offers were fairly soft. Most teams sort of felt like, you know, I got to move this guy. If I wait, I could end up with nothing. And Nod had the courage to take the chance of waiting. He had the courage to take the chance of waiting. Now that doesn't always pay off. In this case, it paid off big. So they get an extra first round draft pick when they really Indianapolis didn't need to give it up. They still would have ended up with Wentz. And they were trading a player that they just had to move on from. So, you know, I give them a lot of credit for that. And it didn't, it looks easy now because just Miami was stupid and the Colts overpaid. But no, the Eagles did things that brought that reality to be. Do
0: you think Howie counted on that one team being out there, in this case the Colts, and the relationship of Frank Reich that basically would probably get a deal done there?
1: Yeah, I do. I mean, I think they were hoping that some of the Bears-like teams that made initial inquiries stayed in it and they could create a legitimate bidding war with teams against each other. But one of the things that Howie does well, um, and I'd like to think it even dates back to the time we were together, is that um, uh, teams are often over-anxious and patience. Like you've seen over the years, the Eagles have frequently traded for future picks. Some teams think future picks are worth less than current picks. We never had that attitude. When we get to the pick, it's a two. It's not, like, it's, not, it's not a two with an asterisk. We're still picking in the second round. doesn't matter that we got the pick last year versus this year. So teams that are patient and willing to take advantage of other teams that are impatient, or in this case, maybe a coach that was just consumed with this having to happen, um, you can make some very good trades. I mean, look at, we did I mean, from A.J. Feely to yeah. uh, the last Second rounder, Andy, right? And Cobb. Second rounder yeah. for A.J. Yeah. And that wasn't it. I mean, I think if you looked at our track record on trades, it was really strong because we approached it from confidence and patience. Most teams are just kind of like, they approached it a little scared. Like, uh, especially if it's a player like Wentz, but you've really made the decision we have to move on. And you really know at this point, bringing the player back would really be destructive, even if he's a good player. Uh, very few teams are willing to have the courage to test the patience and trust their instinct. And, you know, that's benefited the Eagles many times over the years. This was a perfect case for it.
0: And and, and people in Philly are having a lot of fun with the Wentz Watch snap tracker. I mean, <laughs> how creative of a deal is that? Because he's played 99% of the snaps and still it's a top 15 pick right now.
1: Yeah. Uh, no, listen, it, it's likely it stays that way. Really. I mean, at this point... It's possible it doesn't, but it's likely it does. I mean, by the way, he's the same as the Eagles. I mean, some of that narrative isn't. He's playing well against weak opponents, and he's still struggling against top-tier opponents. It's just a hesitation in his decision-making and processing that when you're playing really good teams makes a difference. And maybe they can coach him through it. Maybe he'll get better over time. But I'm starting to feel like, you know, he's been in the league four or five years. If we're still seeing this, it's just who he is. Um, And that means he can be on a team that will be good that he'll struggle to be on a team that's great. And if you're giving up a one and a three for a quarterback, you're hoping it's going to lead you to greatness, not just good.
0: Yeah. Joe, I I really appreciate the insights. I learn a lot from you, and your perspective is great. Uh, I do find it fascinating that Philly is such um, an old-school, hardcore town, and they want to run the ball. I've seen your uh, Twitter arguments with Seth Joyner. He is not backing down, but, but the new NFL, it's 2021.
1: Yeah. No, and listen, uh, I mean, I hate to say this way because I know what people like Seth think of it, but the math is irrefutable.
0: Yeah.
1: I mean, Seth could do it himself. He doesn't need to go get some PhD. Scoring drives are overwhelmingly passing yards and usually mostly passing plays. Teams that score early and get the lead win a very high percentage of the games. If you put those two things together, you can argue, should should it be 65% passes versus 55? That's a legitimate debate. But you shouldn't be arguing about the importance of throwing early, getting the lead, and having an effective passing attack that could work against quality teams.
0: Yep. Uh, So before (laughs) I let you go, Joe, give me a a shot here. Who's the starting quarterback for the Eagles next year? Jalen Hurts, Russell Wilson, or Deshaun Watson?
1: Well, just for fun, not for real, I'm going to say Deshaun Watson.
0: (laughs) (laughs) That'll get people talking. (laughs) Right. Joe Banner, thank you so much. Good to see you again. Good to talk with you, and uh, wish you the best.
1: My pleasure, John. Always being good. Always good being with you.
0: Thanks a lot for your time, Joe.